until now, people have just been taking traditional music and, and minting it, which is fine. But it seems to me like, what's the way that audio creators can create natively crypto music? That's something I'm looking for. Let me, let me step back. I just want to introduce Fred, and then we're going to open it up to some questions. I haven't done this before with you. After all these years, it's going to be fun. Do you remember the um, Pervasive Computing Conference? I do. I do. 1998? Seth, what I remember better than that was after you sold Site Specific, you and I had either a breakfast or a lunch. I'm like, what's the next big thing? And you took out your BlackBerry and you were like, the internet's going to be on this thing. And it's not on this thing yet. So like, we need to figure out how to get the internet on this thing. And I was like, that's great. Why don't you come to Flatiron and help us do that? And then that became pervasive computing. You were 10 years too early. Not two years. Yeah. For 10 years. Like that was 97 when you said that to me. And the iPhone didn't come out till 2007. 10 fucking years too early. So where are we with NFTs? We're there right now. This is the iPhone. We, we, you know, I think, but like 10 years too early? No, no. I think NFTs are the iPhone moment for crypto. Did I slow down? Is that what happened? You got slower. I got slower. I got older. You were like Paul Pierce. You know, eventually Ooh. he couldn't just do it anymore. <laughs> but in, in your case, that's good, right? Because you were 10 years too fast, right? Oh, yeah. You needed to slow down. Anyway, we want to welcome Fred. I've known Fred since 1996, I think, when he and, and Jerry Colonna started uh, Flatiron Partners. You know, that was the beginning of Web 1. Yes. That's how I think of it. Like it was, it definitely felt very similar of like anything was possible. There was no right way of doing things. There was a lot of hustle energy, similar to kind of what we see now. I don't have as clear of a sense of the beginning of Web 2. What was like the dawn of Web 2? Was it delicious? The beginning of Web 2, I think, was when the LAMP stack came along and open source and all of a sudden people... What's the LAMP stack? Oh, Linux, Apache, MySQL, and I'm not sure if it's Python or PHP, but it was like the four things that you could use to build a web, web app. And all of a sudden, you were like, anybody could build a web app. Because like back in the early days when you were building websites, it was, it was hard. You had, to, like, you had to literally code like, HTML. Yeah. yeah. But, and, and so I think really what, what it was was people built enough tooling that Anybody could build a website pretty quickly. And then, and then you got YouTube, then you got Facebook, then you got Twitter, then you got Delicious, then you got Flickr, you got like all those early Web 2, uh, LinkedIn, you got all those early Web 2 things that would have been too hard to build those in 96, 97. And I think people also figured out that it was a two-way thing. Like two-way was the thing. Like, like it wasn't broadcast, it was like two-way. So now what do you think about Web 3? When did ownership. it start? Ownership. ownership. I think um, like a feeling that I own something, right? Like that was what was missing from Web 2 was like you could go on YouTube or you could go on Facebook or whatever, but you didn't, you didn't walk away owning anything. You had to walk away giving something, right? Now you walk away with something. So for example, like to the platform. Instagram. You gave them photos or you gave them on YouTube, you gave them videos or... And, but you didn't keep them. But now with Web3, you get something. You get a token. You get something you, that's yours in your wallet. I mean, arguably in Web2, you got influence. Right. You got attention. 
right? So you had the rise of major influencers. I mean, right. they were clearly getting something. Arguably, they didn't own it the same way. That actually took a while, right? I, I think that Web2 was around for a while before influencers figured out that that was the thing that they could get from Web2. Like, it took a while. When did we first see influencers and where did they emerge? Probably YouTube, right? Probably the first place that they emerged. Casey Neistat? Not on Facebook, right? Because Facebook was always sort of like... Fine. Fine. I mean, you could even argue that things like Twitter, um, which, you know, people could build followings, maybe was an early example of that. But still, I, I do think it was much more the video stuff that people really, like, that's when influencers really took off. How early were you in Twitter? Beginning. We started it. Like, well, I mean, basically what happened was Twitter was inside another company. A podcast company? Yeah, it was a podcasting company called Odeo. And this is 2005? 2006? Six. And I called up Ev Williams and I said, you should spin Twitter out of Odeo and, you know, I'd be happy to finance that. And he said, Jack and I are talking about that. Why don't you come see me? And I went to see them and convinced them that they had, they already had it. Like they just, they just needed a financial partner to pull it off. And I convinced them that we would be that partner. What got you excited about Twitter? You know, I've been blogging for a long time and blogging is like great. You can have influence, you can get followers and all that, but it was like too hard, you know, and all of a sudden Twitter was like, oh shit, I like to just fucking write a text message and I'm done. <laughs> it just was like, this is going to be it, right? Like this is, this is something everybody can do. Why do you think Twitter of all the different platforms has become so relevant for NFTs? I don't know. It's a great question. Like, why didn't they I happen? Think, you know, I why use didn't Twitter more than ever. Well, I think crypto kind of has embraced Twitter, right? So, so like the whole thing of crypto Twitter, right? Like, there isn't crypto Instagram. Why isn't there crypto Instagram? It's more crypto Twitter. Like, why? So, there's something about that. And then, and then so NFTs more naturally would happen in the context of crypto Twitter, I think. I mean, just to give people context, you know, jumping right into it. So, Fred and First Flatiron Partners and then Union Square Ventures were the first investors in Kickstarter, Zynga, Twitter, Coinbase. Um, help me out. What am I missing? You, you know, you, 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 enough. We don't, okay. we don't need to like, you know, get crazy. But, you know, but arguably, you know, some of the most important kind of seminal companies in Web 1, Web 2, Web 3. Do you, do you think of Coinbase as Web 3? No. Coinbase is a is a Web two implementation of Web three, same as OpenSea, right? Like they they built you know a Web two application to access Web three. You know you look at something like Uniswap, and that's like a Web three implementation of Coinbase. We have, we haven't seen yet the Web three implementation of OpenSea. Like there's a couple of people trying it, looks rare. You know other people are trying. It. It's going to happen, I think, but but we don't have it yet. And there's a reason, right? Why is it easier for you to do something on OpenSea than out in the in the middle of Web three, right? It, it, like they 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 did a good job of putting some Chrome around something that was a little hard to operate. We're looking at um, companies within this space, whether it's OpenSea or Uniswap, maybe Tornado Cash, and these are like kind of protocols that everyone flocks to to do specific things. I'd be interested to know which are the ones you do think have really long term viability. Which protocols? Yeah, which are these, like, whether it's OpenSea, whether it's Uniswap that we're working with, or Tornado Cash for anonymity, what are the ones that have legs? In NFTs, specifically? Across this space, period. 
I, I think, well, I don't want to focus on Uniswap, but I do think that Uniswap is a good example of something that, that feels to me like it's got legs because it's solving a very natural need, which is swap assets, right? And they do it in a very sort of Web3 way. Something like Artblocks, you know, is, is great. You know, then that was built on top of Ethereum. So we're, we're seeing a lot of the protocols emerge, but I, I don't yet know, like I don't, have, I don't have a crystal ball as to what like the NFT stack is going to look like, like five years out. You mentioned that OpenSea feels like a Web2 implementation of Web3. What is it that defines a Web3 media company? Because it's not just smart contracts, otherwise OpenSea would be a Web3. It's when investors like Fred are willing to take crypto galacticans as <laughs> equity. Is that it? Well, you've done some very native things too. But I think it's when it's a protocol. Um, so you don't have to use the Uniswap client to use Uniswap. Most people do, but you don't have to. It really is a protocol. And I don't feel that that's the case with OpenSea. They're kind of happily there with their APIs, but it's not a protocol, right? So, and there are people who built NFT protocols like Zora, for example, that haven't really got uh, adoption. So why? I don't know yet. I don't I, You probably have a better idea than I do, but that's my observation. You should have a question on like talent evaluation within the space as an investor. Talent to me is the work, right? Like um, I, people say to me, you know, is this person a good artist? Show me the art. Is this person a good developer? Show me the, the product. Like, I think you just got to look at the work. And if the work is great, then the talent is great. And I, mean, I know that's like sounds so trite, but like, I really, I don't think there's any other way to evaluate talent than what they have made. And what's really impressive is talent that can do it again and again and again. Like Tyler Hobbs does Fidenza, comes back with incomplete control and it's different, but great. And you're like, okay, that's talent. Like they can do it and they can do it again and again and again. And it's the same thing in sports, right? I read that Kevin Durant has scored in double figures in every playoff game he's ever played in. There's someone who can do it night after night after night. He's great, right? So that's the way I think about talent. Bust is somebody who can't do it night after night after night. One and done. A ton of people like that. You see it in music all the time. You know, they put out one great song and they can never do it again. That to me, that's not sustainable talent. You guys have like very high level like golden rules when it comes to like business or like making new deals and relationships or stuff like that. We uh, have a couple rules. Um, one of them is to be generous on our deal doing. And some people might not think of us that way, but we really do try to make sure that when we make an investment, there's enough skin in the game for everybody, particularly the founders. We have a, a no assholes rule. Um, you know, we try not to invest in people who strike us as just complete assholes. So there's like some things that you know, are kind of like core values for us. We want to invest in things we really believe in. So I don't, I wouldn't invest in something like if something came along and I was like, I could, this is going to make me so much money, but I hate it. I won't invest in it because I want to love the things I invest in. So if it just seems like something that's shit, but I know I can make a lot of money. I won't do it because I think it's shit. <laughs> Can something be too big to fail? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We see it now. Like, you know, and it's usually when it's got its tentacles in so many things that like you just can't unplug it, like the banking system or Google, like or Is OpenSea too big to fail? No, I don't think so. I'm not saying OpenSea will fail. 
I'm just saying that I don't think it's too big to fail because I think that we're still super, super early days. Like, Is Ethereum too big to fail? Yes. Definitely. I'm not saying that the other layer one smart contracts won't succeed. I just think that so much has been built on Ethereum. Uh, it's got its tentacles into too many things. It's, you can't, it's just, it's un, like you can't just, it, it, it's like you cannot rip and replace Ethereum. It's too big. It's got it's too many places now. Can you help us? Um... I, by the way, I'm not sure Bitcoin is too big to fail. I mean, I, I think if you, if you said, I got to say yes or no, I'd say Bitcoin's too big to fail. But I have more questions about Bitcoin than I do about Ethereum. Give us some perspective on us, right, from the outside. Because I think we, you know, we're living this world right now where we're getting, we're paying each other in Ethereum. We're living this fully NFT denominated DAO life. Right. How unique is it? What do you, how do you think this plays out for us? What should we be? There's lots of DAOs out there. There are very few DAOs. So there's, there's lots of different kinds of DAOs. There are some things that are what I call protocol DAOs, like Uniswap, but they didn't start as DAOs. They became DAOs when they decentralized as they, as they, as they put their, their product out into the world. Those are like companies and DAOs at the same time. But in the world you're operating in, which is the NFT space, I'm not aware of another DAO, maybe some of the issuer DAOs like Board apes and people like that are like this now um, that are both a DAO and a company at the same time. And I think that's really hard. Like, I'm not sure. Is everybody here an employee or are you DAO members? Like, that's not obvious to me. Like, what got you here and, you know, the people who come to the meetups not here? Like, so where's that distinction? And so I think that's pretty rare. Like, what you're doing here is on the cutting edge of a lot of stuff. What excites you the most about our roadmap? Just the idea of going city to city, the art side of it. I see the city to city thing actually as not the thing. I think it's uh, a genius way to take your show on the road. Um, and the, the crypto citizens being issued in each city is brilliant and all of that. But to me, that's kind of like, that's the evangelism. That's the go-to-market move. But that's not the thing. I think the thing is that you have understood that there's an IRL aspect to something that's natively digital, that's important, and value-adding for the creators, the collectors, and everybody involved. Honestly, I don't know who else would be on that list. Like, If you were going to make a list of people who have figured out how to do NFTs in real life, is there anybody else on that list besides Bright Moments? There's people that I think have been inspired by us, but starting here in LA, I think we're seeing it in New York, and I think everywhere we go, we'll open that up. But I mean, people will copy it. I mean, and, and look, the auction houses do NFTs, but they don't do them the way you do them. And I think what you're, you're doing, which is the, the native Web3 IRL NFT thing, I don't think anybody else is doing that. What was your takeaway from the Tyler Hobbs show that you came to? Well, it's amazing. I mean, I, I've said the word generative art a lot, and I understand what generative art is, but I actually didn't really understand what generative art was until I saw Tyler Hobbs seeing the work for the first time and talking about it. Publicly. I remember you were there Thursday. You was like, is he seeing this for the first time? And I'm like, yeah. That, to me, was just... 
it was mind blowing. It truly was mind blowing. It's like there's a lot of things in this world that you think you understand, and then something comes along, and you're like, oh, n- now I get it, right? And that to me was one of those moments. I didn't actually understand generative art and generative work until that moment. I thought I did. I did. And it was amazing because there was a great jazz band and the art was beautiful and the space was fantastic. And he was great. Great sushi. It was great sushi. The whole thing was just top notch, first rate. And it was also an aha moment for me. Like that was great. Loved it. And I think that's what you'll do for people all around the world. That's, that is the thing, right? Really ultimately that you're not so much generative art. It's just that, like, I think a lot of people think they know what NFTs are. They don't. And I think one of the things you're doing is you're actually showing people what NFTs are in a physical, real-world way that can't really be done any other way. As companies grow from, let's just say, like 30 to 100 or 30 to that 50 mark, how do we not lose sense of our core culture? Very few companies like almost zero can maintain the feeling that you have when it's this size. Feeling you have when it's this side is that everybody's a team player. Everybody will chip in and do this or that, you know, people not hung up on roles and not hung up on titles. You know, they're, it's, it, it feels like they know what everybody feels like they know what's going on. Everybody feels like they have, you know, real impact what's going on. When you get to 100, it's very hard to maintain that culture and get anything done at 100. So then what you do is you start putting in, you know, hierarchy, you put in management, you put in roles, you put in, you know, and then all of a sudden nobody feels that way anymore. And I don't know what to do about that. I don't have actually an answer to solve that problem. But I think there's a very special time in the company where you can all feel that way. And, you know, I know companies are like, we're never going to get bigger than 30 because we don't want to break that. But then you keep, but then you, <laughs> company dies because you can't, you can't maintain like, so it's, I don't know what to do about it, but it's a real problem. I think DAOs somehow like suggest that maybe there's this new, better way of organizing things, which is, I think is true, but I still think there's some fundamental laws of physics that DAOs don't fix. I don't know, Seth, do you have a point of view on this? I mean, you've gone through this. You've seen, you've seen what happens. I was saying before that um, startups have like, come to be synonymous with a certain kind of like, venture-funded tech startup. And I think we started very differently. As you remember, we started in, over there. Right. We were all in quarantine. I think quarantine, the, the COVID is a sort of a generational punctuation right. culturally. Um, Obviously, Christy and I moved here and got to meet all sorts of people outside Minotti's, and it wasn't another cohort coming out of Y Combinator. For sure. Right. So I talk less about sort of company and more about project. A lot of companies, they start and they, you know, and yet, you know, they, they sell to the investors this idea of exiting and they have to pretend that they're going to go on forever, but they're only really successful if they exit by going public or by getting sold. So it's kind of like a disconnect. Well, like, so you, you made a lot of good steps in that direction. So at USV, if all we get out of our financial investment and our time and energy at bright moments is 100 Galacticans and 10 to 15 
Venetians and New Yorkers and Berliners, we will have made a return on our investment and some. And those assets are liquid and we can sell them whenever we want. So like in a way, it's a very freeing thing. Like you don't, none of you need to necessarily feel like, oh, we need to go make this big company so Fred can get a return. Like you don't have to. And nobody who's put any money or time into bright moments needs to feel that way because because you get the NFT. The NFT ownership is kind of an amazing thing in that way. But you also have ownership in the DAO. It's possible that things will come out of the DAO, maybe ticketing or maybe a collector DAO or, or, or maybe, you know, additional series would get issued or whatever those things might be. That or you, you won an incomplete control. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So you, there are drops and probabilities. So it's a very freeing organizational structure, capital structure, financial model, whatever you want to call it, that I do think frees all of you up to think more creatively about this. You could think of it more like Andy Warhol's factory as opposed to creating the next Facebook. And that's pretty cool, right? And like, if that's what you wanted to go do with it, I think everybody who's involved would say, great, go do that. Maybe that is what you're doing. I asked Seth like a month ago, is this an art project or a startup? And uh, he didn't actually give me an answer, but I don't really care what the answer is either, honestly. Well, it's almost like each NFT is a mini IPO, right? Right. Every NFT we mint is by definition public insofar as it's tradable, it's liquid, exchangeable. Right. So instead of, you know, I don't know how long Coinbase or Airbnb were private, you know, years, you know, seven years, eight years. Yes. So it's sort of like binary, like you're private, 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 and then you're public. With us, it's like every time we mint, it's a little miniature IPO that lets out some of that anxiety and some of that tension. A couple questions. We know that we've got to get to 10,000 crypto citizens to fulfill the full collection. We know that we're going to do it, knock on wood, over a series of cities to get there. And we'll do art drops along the way. That's about a year and a half, almost two years out. Right. What do you think we should do after that? Do we have to know? When, at what point should, do we need to know that? And is that something that we're going to decide or something that will be decided as we get further along and we are more and more decentralized? I think that things are revealing themselves to you already. And I think the decisions you make about those things along the way will probably have more to do with what, what you do at the end than anything else. But as I said, I think if the answer is we're done, put a bow around it, tie it, we're out. I don't think anybody's going to have a problem with that. I think more likely that's not going to happen because one or more things is going to come along the way that are going to excite you collectively or some of you to go do, and you're going to go chase those things. And those are going to become, those will have a life of their own. You know, you're paving the way for a financial enterprise, a business enterprise that is more project-based than what you know, a traditional startup might look like. And I called it Andy Warhol's factory. It's probably not the best analogy. There's probably a better one. It may be like what you got if you merged Idea Lab and Andy Warhol's factory. What was Idea Lab for people? Bill Gross's thing. So it was like an incubator. Um, was where like things came out of. When should we be looking at the price of crypto citizens and saying 
this price reflects the market? I think you should assume for now that the price of crypto citizens has nothing to do with the quality of the work you're doing. I don't think anybody understands. Well, I mean, I understand it. You understand it. But, 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 the, but the market doesn't understand what you're actually doing here. And that owning a crypto galactican or a crypto Venetian not only gives you the right to that work, but also membership in a DAO that's doing all sorts of amazing things that potentially could produce lots of other things too. No one's priced that into the price of the Venetians and, or the crypto galacticans. Is it on us to do a better job of explaining it? Or do we just say, you know what, let's just do our thing and, and people will figure out it over time? When were CryptoPunks minted? 2017. And what was the price of a CryptoPunk a year later? Nothing. Okay, then there you go. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, 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 things don't ha- I mean, some of them happen overnight, right? So you look at you look at Bored Apes and you're like, wait, they did this and then it was all of a sudden worth this. And you just assume they're all like that. But actually, I don't know that they're all like that. This is super simple, but what's the last thing that... You know, I mean, I, I, I'm in a line of work where I get inspired like daily. So this is going to sound like a cop out, but I really do think that the stuff you all are doing, particularly you know, in real life experience, is one of the more recent, like, blow my mind kind of things. So I, I, are you I, coming I, to Berlin? You, you will be inspired. Great. Thank you. Thanks.